This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. We have a couple northern-facing walls that accumulate this little green powdery, yucky stuff. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. And it took us quite a while to figure out over the last few years how to get it off. Uh, Magic erasers are magical. And sure enough, with a magic eraser and a good power sprayer, you can wash down the entire, you know, house. Well, actually, boxes and boxes and boxes of magic erasers. But administration had decided it was time to wash the outside of the house. Why we did it when our three teenage slaves weren't there, I don't know. Sons, our three teenage sons weren't there, I don't know. It would have been helpful to have them in that process. Needless to say, it was time. Now, we wash walls the same way we paint walls, which is very different, okay? I, I look at the world at 30,000 feet, man. I'm a big picture kind of guy, which basically means like the Tasmanian devil, and I got 18-inch rollers in each hand, like, going all over the wall as fast as I possibly can. It gets everywhere. I'm good with that. We'll clean it up after the fact. No, that's not how, how she paints a wall. She's, she's the fine cutter line, very, very, so I'm like, I moved on to the second room by now. And she's like, you missed a spot. I'm like, sorry. And I go back and I have to do it again, do it again. So that same type of philosophy now translates to washing walls where she is like, you missed a spot. Actually, it's, are you going to get that? <laughs> I never know how to respond to that question because I know it's not a question. And I'm like 20 feet in the air, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is not my favorite day in, in all of God's good kingdom. This is not my favorite day of the year. I'm 20 feet in the air. She's not even looking and she knows. Are you going to get that? yeah. So we washed the one wall and we moved around to the front of the house. And the front of the house is shaped like an L. And we're going to go left to right. And there's the section where the garage is at. And it comes back this way. And so we start on the far left side. And I'm up at the top. I'm washing the gutter, the soffit, the fascia. And she's working on the siding. It's down below. And as I'm washing, I'm like, <sighs> and I reach inside of the gutter. And it's this blackish, brackish sewage sludge that has now coated all of my arm. I put in leaf guards. I, I mean, and I'll be honest, I haven't been cleaning it out clearly as much as you should have. But I now realize this is not just about washing the outside of the house anymore. And because our three teenage slave sons aren't there, I have to do it myself. And so I'm, so I'm just pulling out. And I realize, because ah, the more I pull out, the more it flows my way. I need to go on the opposite side. So she's working left to right. I am now working right to left because I want to go with the flow. Okay? 
I'm already in a bad mood. The lifeguards aren't working. I could have thought of two, three other things I'd rather be doing than washing this off of all of that. And so I'm already getting up on the ladder in a very bad mood. She's coming across left to right. I'm working right to left. And the key is to work smarter, not harder, right? That's what works smarter, not harder. So I say to myself, self, power washer. How is this not an awesome idea? I will clean out the gutters with the power washer. And she's working left to right, and I'm going to work right to left. <laughs> There's parts of my brain that's completely shut down at this point. <laughs> Anything that sees beyond the next 30 seconds, marital happiness, whatever it might be. As, I, as the theme song to 2001 Space Odyssey plays in the background, I'm climbing up the ladder with the power washer on my shoulder. Boom, 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 boom. Dun, 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 dun. And I insert the power washer, 500 PSI, 6,000, who knows what it is, right? And I'm in, basically inserted it inside of a metal cannon that's clogged full of sewage junk <laughs> aimed at the back of my wife's head. As she works left to right, and I'm about to fire right to left. If you took Old Faithful and you attached it to a New York City sewage plant, that's what it looked like. I say, are you going to get that? You miss a spot. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I really did. Yeah. There was a problem with the flow. Actually, there's no flow at all. It had gotten so full of junk and clogged that the water could not drain the way it needed to. There was no flow. And as a result, there was just muck everywhere. Your life is designed to have flow. Your life is designed and intended in such a way that so much of God is to work and flow through you. That if we make a habit of sin, selfishness, pride, you name it. Things will get junked up and clogged up and things cannot flow the way that they're supposed to. And so I thought this summer, what if we talked about that? What if we became more of a community where God could flow freely through us, bringing the gospel and the message of the gospel and the presence of the gospel with everybody else? To do that, we're going to look at, to some of you, which is a very popular passage in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. It's the kind of passage that you hear at weddings, 
Well, you might understand prayerfully through our discussion today and beyond that it has a whole bigger intention than just a husband and a wife and marital bliss. But before I get you into 1 Corinthians, let me give you some context on Corinth and why Paul wrote the things that he did in this chapter. The city of Corinth was designed to be another Rome. It was designed to be very Roman in its values and in its systems. It had a huge marketplace, big trade center. The way it's situated in the Mediterranean, lots of trade routes came in and out of Corinth. Think the NASDAQ. Think the stock exchange. Its commodities are going back and forth. Very opulent, very, very prosperous community, but also a lot like America. There's lots of haves and a lot of have-nots. Lots of haves, lots of have-nots. Think NASDAQ. Very religious community. Very religious city. Number one religion? Themselves. They worshiped themselves. There's actually an avenue in the city of Corinth that archaeologists have found where they had built monuments to themselves. One specifically called the Babius Monument where a civic leader built this beautiful, beautiful altar, pillared structure, and it actually says on it, I built this monument with my own money for me. To show off, this is my wealth. This is my prominence. Look what I can do. In addition to this, this insurgence of narcissism and self-worship was what they call the Roman woman movement. A married woman was expected to dress and handle herself at a certain level of propriety. She would wear a hood to tell others that she's a married woman. Well, flowing out of Rome, many women thought that they weren't going to be kept down that way. And they began to show off and glamorize their sexuality and dressing in different ways and inappropriate ways. And they were belittling the act and covenant of marriage and they were belittling what it meant to be a mother. And they, were, they would speak up in, in, in whatever social gathering they might be, said, notice me, look at me, see me. A religion of self. Think NASDAQ, think Snapchat. Corinth was also a big art center. Think Broadway. Art shows and exhibitions. Orators and communicators from all over the empire would come there to compete. Who could put on the best speech? Who could put on the best performance? And who could get the biggest crowd? Not that they had anything to say, this who is the most fun to listen to? Think NASDAQ. Think Snapchat. Think Broadway. But Corinth was also a lot like Big Ten. It was a center for athletic accomplishment. Champions. Athletic heroes. The Isthmian Games had just happened before Paul gets there from a ministry perspective. Think Olympics, but specific to Corinth. They even had competitions for women. Think Big Ten, think Broadway, think NASDAQ, think Snapchat. 
So the Apostle Paul says to himself, you know where a great place to plant a church would be? Right in Corinth. The world flows and flocks to Corinth. Paul wants to see the gospel go out in as many places it possibly can. So the world's coming to Corinth. I'm going to Corinth. But as you might be able to imagine, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, as the world is pouring into Corinth, worldliness poured into the church in Corinth. And so Paul began to write a series of letters to help this church write the ship. So all the problems that you saw in culture were manifesting themselves in the faith at Corinth. There was a huge stratification of economy, the have and the have-nots, in how people would eat in Corinth. They'd even build their houses to show off their opulence. But to begin to treat the Lord's table the same way. The haves and the have-nots. And who could come to the table and who couldn't. So much so that Paul says when he thinks about it, it makes him sick to his stomach the way they would treat the table. Because of many of the issues, the, the movement of the Roman woman and sexuality and lewdness and perverseness and how the women were handling themselves, that began to manifest itself in the church. So Paul says very specific, targeted things to these women in this church in Corinth. Hey, we need to pay attention to how we dress. We need to pay attention to how we talk. It's not about how you dress yourself up. It's about the character of your content that you have, the content of your character that you're manifesting. They began to treat the worship service as a popularity contest. Who liked the best preacher? Who was better, Paul or Apollos? Seeking after certain spiritual gifts that manifest certain visual presence. Oh, look, I can heal. Oh, look, I can speak in tongues. Oh, look, I can do this. I can do this because it was all about being popular. It's all about being noticed. So the leaders of Corinth began to write letters back to Paul. Hey, how can we fix this? We have some serious problems here. So Paul actually writes, to our understanding, four letters to the church in Corinth. One, two, three, four. We have number two and number four. We just call it one and two. Does that make sense? Nancy, did you get that? One, two, three, four. We have two and four. We just call it one and two. In 1 Corinthians, he's addressing these issues. Because you are chasing after culture. You are chasing after popularity. This is the first church of self-promotion. Let me teach you a better way called neighborly devotion. And so into his commentary and critique on their worship service, he slows down and almost presents a hymn, if you will, in how it feels and how it looks. He has this to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is verse 13. He says, let me show you a more excellent way of being. As you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this, let me show you a more excellent way. And that phrase, more excellent, is where we get the word hyperbole. You guys know what a hyperbole is, right? Over the top, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. In the first service, the guy said Cow. Who says, I'm so hungry he did a cow? Everyone knows it's horse. I'm so hungry he did a horse. Oh, I'm so happy I'm on top of the world. Yeah, it's just a big over-exaggeration to prove a point. That's what Paul says. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Let me show you a way in your notes. Write this down. It's a billion times better. What I'm about to teach you is a billion times better than what you see in the world around you.
He finished addressing how they're serving, how they're prioritizing, and what they're seeking. A culture that really, if, the, if Apostle Paul were walking the streets of America, walking the pews and aisles of many churches, you'd say, boy, I've seen this before. Have you read my letter? He says, let me show you a more excellent way. And into that, the Apostle Paul says this. Let me read it for you. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I'm not devoted to my neighbor, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I'm not devoted to my neighbor, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I'm not devoted to my neighbor, I gain nothing. Neighborly devotion, it's patient and kind. Neighborly devotion does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Neighborly devotion bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Neighborly devotion never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfect comes, the partial passes away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even if I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and neighborly devotion abide. These three. But the greatest of these, it's neighborly devotion. I want you to notice, I didn't say the word love, did I? I didn't say the word love because Paul didn't say the word love. Not as we use it, not as we understand it, not as we throw it around. We stick love on whatever we want. I can love my dog, I can love pizza, and I can love my wife. That word is useless. That word is useless. And when Paul is trying to deal with culture and arrest a church that's going down the wrong path, you can't afford to be general, you can't afford to be bland, you can't afford to paint with an 18-inch brush. You need to be specific. You need to be technical. You need to be precise. Paul doesn't use something that's bland, that you can stick on whatever you want, whatever poster you want to carry. He uses the word agape. Agape is a godlike love, a deep-seated commitment to the well-being of someone else. It's a neighborly devotion. You could contrast that with other words like eros, where we get the word erotic. That's a love that is focused on me, on getting, on receiving. Think Cupid in an arrow and shooting and manipulating someone to my will and my whim and my pleasure. Eros, agape, is something completely different. For agape, neighborly devotion to be true, it has to have two important facets. There does need to be a deep-centered emotional 
feeling that directs you, number two, to care for the well-being of the other, not yourself. At many times, at your own expense. So I didn't use the word love, as you might have read it in your translation. We need to use the word that the Apostle Paul uses. That means a neighborly devotion. So he says, let me show you a more excellent way. A way that's a billion times better. Then he gives us this hymn towards neighborly doing. We're going to unpack all of its components throughout the course of the summer. And I, I hope you'll be with us. And then he bookends at the very end of the chapter with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. And he says, pursue this. Chase after this. It's worth going to the moon and back. Put that down in your notes. We're putting down hyperbole. Chase after this. Go to the moon and back in your efforts to go after this type of life, this philosophy, this religion. It's a billion times better. They could look around their culture and their time and they could see people pursuing financial wealth and pursuing social wealth and pursuing political wealth. 20 ways to become a billionaire. Five ways to get more likes on Snapchat. The Apostle Paul says, I'm not dissing Snapchat. I'm just saying it can scratch an itch. The Apostle Paul says, this is worth going to the moon and back. This is something really worth pursuing. Neighborly devotion as opposed to self-promotion. Neighborly devotion as opposed to self-promotion. But then the Apostle Paul gets to the very end of 1 Corinthians, and he says this in chapter 16. He says, let everything be done with neighborly devotion, agape. Or another hyperbole, it's a work that you can drown in. A work that swallows you up. That you could really sink into and that should cover every aspect of your being. Not in every now and again type of thing but a work that you could really drown yourself in. It should cover your marriage. It should cover your relationships with your family. It should cover your relationships with your coworkers. It should plaster every aspect of your being, what we call neighborly devotion. It's consistent with the rest of the Bible, isn't it? If you read like the end of Galatians, uh, in Galatians chapter 5 and in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, Paul puts forth what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know that the Spirit is being manifest in someone's life? You're going to see certain things like patience and kindness. You're going to see certain things like self-control. What's the first one in the list? Neighborly devotion. Being devoted to the neighbor. The other. The one who's outside. One who's across the street, across the tracks, across the town, across the country. The other. When Peter uh, does his list of virtues in 1 Peter chapter 1, he lists what he would consider the virtuous life of a follower of Jesus. He says, yeah, there's moral excellence and there's knowledge and there's self-control and there's steadfastness and there's godliness and there's Philadelphia, love of brother, and there's agape, the list culminates in being devoted to the neighbor, like God is devoted to you, agape. But if that weren't enough, a young man walks up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? That's well, easy. 
Be devoted to God. Be devoted to your neighbor. Agape God. Agape the neighbor. You so say, how, how do you do that? When all of culture is flowing one way with all of its sludge and mess, how does a Christian, how does a Christian church rise up to be a beacon of place where God's and his devotion can flow through us and bring the gospel to the other? How do you do that? Welcome to the summer. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this to an apprentice. He says, our charge, our responsibility is neighborly devotion, agape, God love. And it issues from or it flows from three things. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Those three. Our responsibility which is to cover everything, which is a billion times better, worth going to the moon and back over. Our responsibility, love God, love others, agape God, agape others, that flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. So I thought, what if that became a matrix for us to help us understand and help us up the flow, if you will, as a follower of Jesus, as a greater church family? So I want to, I, you know me, I'm going to do something that gives my wife an ulcer and makes a mess in the middle of church. So what I thought we would do is we would put together a plumber's diagram, if you will. Okay, so you've got a big box in your notes where you can draw. You, I talk, you draw. I'm not going to tell you what to draw. I'm just going to do a lot of talking, and if you want to draw some stuff, you do you. But to do this, we're going to unpack sincere faith, pure heart, and good conscience. I need someone to be Jesus for me. Okay? Up here on the platform, I need, a, at least I need someone a little bit taller. I love you, dude, and I love the fact that your hand's up, and that is awesome. I'm glad that you're here. But a little, yeah, yeah, it's all good, man. I need a good Jesus. Jesse, you coming up? Oh, Jesse's going to come up. Lisa, I got you on another one, so hold on a second, girl. Jesse, are you going to be Jesus for me? All right, so this one this, this is Jesus. And this will help because you're taller than me. And love flows downhill. That's not, yeah, stand up, stand up. I need three others, please. Just others, just others. Lance, absolutely, you coming up, man. Yep. But I need, I need a, a woman, and now I need a man too, please. Can I have a man? Yes, Rob. He, he does this like, this happens every time. So, um, yeah, that order is good. That's, so, oh, well, yeah. Can you put that on for me, Lance? And Miss Lisa, can you put that on? And Rob, I need you to stand next to me, please. Okay. And I'm going to give you that. Put that on. Put on the other. Yep. And here you go. And here you go. And here you go. Okay. Awesome. Spot on. Spot on. Okay. And here you go. That's you. All right. All right, what we need to understand is that there is flow. There is a flow. It flows from Jesus through me to others. Yeah, you're going to, no, you are. This is good. You're Jesus. And perfectly, my cup will not overflow in this case. But we'll do the best that we can. But watch, okay, so other, right? Other, nice and close, nice and close. And, and Jesus is going to pour, yep. Yep, as he pours in, yep, 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 flows down, flows through, flows to. Good stop. 
Perfect. Spot on. Spot on. There is a flow. There is a flow. The direction is Jesus through me to others. To make that happen, I need to have a sincere faith, which means an authentic focus. My attention is on my relationship with Jesus. Is my relationship with Jesus growing and thriving? Is it sincere? Is it accountable? Am I mindful of his will for my life? Do I spend time with him? Am I seeking him out? Am I giving him opportunity to pour into me? Because as he pours into me, I am able to pour into others. Sincere faith. That makes sense. I need to have a sincere faith. My attention, okay? Jesus. Oh, this will help. Okay, I don't want you to get confused. It's just me. Here we go. It's just me. All right, just me. Just me. Jesus, just me, and to others, okay? That's sincere faith. We'll unpack this more and more as, as our weeks go on this summer. All right, now let's talk about pure heart. This has to be pure. It has to be clean. If I cut myself off from Jesus, what will flow out of here? What will ha- What's the word, Lance? Icky. I think that's the perfect theological term. As I cut myself off from Jesus... It's greed and narcissism and selfishness and pride. It's self-centeredness. It's lust. Whatever you want to think of that pours and issues out of my heart into the world around me. As I cut myself off from God, my heart will become hard. My heart will become clogged. My heart will become disgusting. My boys... Well, they shower regularly. I got three teenage boys. Believe me, mom house is not going to let the boys stink, right? Not going to happen. But I noticed that it sounded like they were taking a bath more than they were taking, not together. The, 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 the shower was sounding like a bath. Like they were splashing. I'm like, guys, what's up? Like, well, it's not draining. I'm like, well, how long has it been like this? A while. I'm not a bad dad. I don't think so. Like, all right, so what do I go get drain a what? What had happened inside of the drain? It had gotten clogged, whatever. I mean, I got three teenage boys and they're soccer players and they're muddy and they're dirty. And so I can imagine it's a whole lot of stuff downside, inside. So drain of that, drain of that, drain of that. It took a while because the pipe had gotten clogged and it had gotten jammed up and it had gotten gucky. If neighborly devotion flows through a pure heart, That means I'm walking with the sensitivity of the condition of my heart. A mindfulness. Is there pride present? Lust? Greed? You name it. The words, the Proverbs say this, the words flow from what? From my heart. It flows through to, okay? Pure heart, pure heart. Making sense so far? But there's a third one, a good conscience, all right? And we're going to get you two right in this. You guys ready? This, this is going to be fun. Good conscience. What's a conscience? Conscience is your consciousness of what's right or wrong at any given time. It'll change as you change. I talked about this a couple weeks ago in a series. You can go back and listen. The reason I did that was to prep you for this. What is a conscience? Conscience is your consciousness, your awareness of what you think is right and wrong based on a given time, okay? That doesn't mean your conscience is right. 
but it is telling you what it thinks is right and wrong. Love flows through a good conscience. Good meaning, not clear. I'm clear with my conscience. My conscience is clear. Dude, there's a whole lot of examples of a lot of people throughout all of time who did things with a clear conscience that were very, very bad. My responsibility is to have a good conscience, meaning what? It's right. It's the way God designed it, the way God intended it to be. Right? Can you step back for a second? I love you to pieces. Love you. Yeah, you're getting real close. Now, the natural habit is, uh, I know, real close. You're so close. The natural habit of a weak conscience is that I can only care for people who are a lot like me. We like to cook barbecue, and we love good books, and we probably listen to a Jordan Peterson podcast every now and then. Right? Because we're a lot alike. I mean, look how handsome I am, and you're getting there. A weak conscience, a short conscience, uh, one that is not able to reach, I will only express devotion to those who are closer to home, the ones who are a lot like me. But that limits the capacity, facial hair too, that limits the capacity of God's devotion to go out. What I need to be able to do is to live in such a way. Go ahead, you can step back, step back. Okay, check this out. You ready, Lance? You good? I need you to help me out here, okay? Okay, you're real close, okay? You good? Hold it, buddy. Yep. I need to be able to reach others who are a little bit different than I am. Sincere faith, right? I'm focusing on my relationship with Jesus. And what is God able to do? God is able to, through me, yep, reach and love on others. We're different. He and I are a little bit more different. But because of a good conscience, my capacity for love is increased, this is not a compromise. I'm not compromising. This is not, maybe there's things that he does, yeah, that I don't agree with. Oh my goodness, are there things that I do that God doesn't agree with? Does that stop God loving me? Oh goodness, no. Goodness, no. Maybe we vote differently. Maybe we spend money differently. Maybe we dress differently. Maybe we play different video games. I don't know. Like maybe. He's the other. He's a little bit farther away than I am. But a good conscience, a healthy conscience, lets me embrace him as a fellow human being. And love can go farther. Right? But the real challenge, because you step back for a second, the real challenge is that love sometimes will be a real stretch. Okay? And it's going to ask me to reach even farther. And sometimes to reach others who are really different than I am. It's going to ask me to what? Bow down a little bit more and be a little bit more humble and a little bit more patient and a little bit more kind so the love of Jesus can get to my neighbor. That's why the Apostle Paul unpacks, he says, neighborly devotion is patient, it's kind, it's not irritable, it's not rude. It's not self-seeking. Words that we're going to unpack over the course of the month. Does that make sense? A sincere faith, pure heart, good conscience. Thank you so much, guys. I'll take, this is disgusting. You thought I was going to ask you to drink that, didn't you? Thank you, thank you. Lance, you're awesome. Thank you, Miss Lisa. The other. Oh, did you get, there we go, there we go. You can keep it. You want to keep it? You don't always be the other? I'm the other. They make us wear labels at church. It's just me. It's just me. It's just me. 
the Apostle Paul railed on Peter because Peter had stopped reaching out to the Gentiles and would only eat with the Jews because of his conscience. Did Paul have a clear conscience? Absolutely. I mean, did Peter have a clear conscience? Yeah, absolutely. Was he stifling and limiting how de- uh, God devotion could reach others? Yes, most sincerely he did. Sincere faith, a pure heart, good conscience. We're going to unpack those ideas that the course of our time. To do that, I, I want to ask us to have, make three commitments, if you will, to up our flow. Up our flow. On the bottom of your notes, it's prayer, it's presence, and it's a practice. Prayer, presence, and practice. Prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul said this. As he's praying to God, may God increase our love for one another. I think that's a good prayer. Maybe daily you could join with me as we pray that for our church family, for one another. God, would you up our flow as a church family? Would you increase our capacity? Would you do things in such a way that you are more free to pour into us that we might be able to pour into others? Up the flow. Apostle Paul would pray that daily over his church family. Would you pray that over ours? Make a commitment to prayer. Make a commitment to present, being present. It's my commitment that each Sunday we're going to walk through a part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Next week, I'm going to walk you through the beginning part, that negative part where he says, it's not this and it's not this and it's not this to help you up your flow. Be present this summer. As we unpack this passage together, look at it as an act of devotion to the other, to the neighbor. By being in a place, by fixing my attention upon God, I'm going to let God pour into me through his word and through gathering with the brothers and sisters in the faith that it might touch my heart, change my heart, increase my capacity to care for others. Presence. Make that commitment. I get vacation happens. But going to church is kind of like what we do. And then practice. Let's practice this. Flip your notes over. We'll just call this the 312 challenge. Like 1 Thessalonians 312. Not very creative. Okay, that's where I took it from. Do these three things on a daily basis. Okay, good conscience. We want to grow our conscience. Our, our conscience, we want to be healthy and strong. We want to reach others that are different than us. So, sincere faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point of recognizing a way where God has shown his devotion to me on a daily basis. Maybe in my prayer time, God, I'm just, I want to notice, God, that my wife and my life is a gift from you. It is a way that you have shown me neighborly devotion, agape love. I want to get my attention fixed on what Jesus is doing and how he has shown his devotion to me. God, I thank you for my health. God, I I thank whatever it might be, but making a point in the day to recognize God's flow to me. Okay. Sincere faith. Pure heart. After that, I'm going to recognize ways that I have choked off myself to God and others where I have limited, cut off that flow. God, I didn't pray at all yesterday. God, I didn't seek you at all yesterday. My attention was off yesterday. 
That's wrong. I'm sorry. I repent of that. And the way I spoke to my wife yesterday when she told me to clean that side of the house again was not an act of devotion. It was an act of selfishness. That's wrong. God, I, I want to repent in that. I want my heart to be open and pure and ready for you. I want those around me to receive as much of your devotion as they possibly can. And it flows through me to them. I want to be about neighborly devotion, not self-promotion. And then good conscience. Uh, on the back of your notes are seven ways in seven days. Pick one. Pick one. Do one a day. Or come up with your own. It's just I gave you some examples. Leaving quarters at a laundromat. Uh, sending a note to a friend. And listing what you think are some amazing qualities to that person. Sending a text. Even at the end. It says, Maybe this, your conscience will just prompt you to do something. Do it. Hey, go pay for that person's gas. Whatever. I mean, talk about devotion. Holy cow. That would be huge. I'll be getting gas right after church if anyone's wondering. <laughs> Lots of prayer. Pick one a day. Do one. We want the spirit to stretch us some and maybe it'll be humbling a little bit so that we can reach others. Politically different, socially different. Values are different. Religion's different. Who knows? I want the gospel to go as far as it possibly can. Not just to those who are so close to home, but those that are across the street, across the tracks, across the town, across the city, across the world. So seven ways in seven days. Take the challenge. See what you can do. See what will happen. May God up the flow. Up the flow. This last week, Harry asked me to go out for coffee. We go to Tim Hortons to get coffee. And up until recently, we haven't gone into Tim Hortons. Now we can go back into Tim Hortons. We all sit at the same table, and Harry and I have coffee, and we just talk. Just talk about whatever we want to talk about. Gas prices, um, how his family's doing, how my family's doing. We're just talking. We've been talking for about 45 minutes. I have a membership meeting that I need to get to afterwards. All of a sudden, in the middle of our conversation, a gentleman behind me starts talking into our conversation. You can check this all with Harry. I'm not making this up. He's not a part of the conversation, but now he's a part of the conversation. And he is talking to us non-stop talking, and he's covering everything that he can possibly think of. If you were to put this gentleman next to me, everything would be different, okay? His skin, much darker than mine, okay? If we're at Tim Hortons, I'm like vanilla cappuccino, he's dark roast, okay? That different. You could tell um, life choices, different. Clothing choices, very different. If I wore the T-shirt that he had on to my grandmother's family reunion, she would have died. Okay? That kind of different. We could probably have gone on and found many, many more differences. But I'm loving the fact he's just, he's talking and he's just going. He, he, he led off with, he led off with, did you know that if you removed all the space between the atoms, everybody would fit into a Starbucks cup. Dude, this is great. Like, you used a Starbucks illustration inside of Tim Hortons. And uh, he's just going. He's just going. I mean, I, I mean, I've got to get going. I've got a meeting to get to, but I am loving in this guy's presence. He's just rattling things off, rattling things off. And he would, like, start peppering. Like Bible verses in there. 
I'm just, I'm just, I'm loving it. I'm just, in, I don't know how Harry's doing, how he's feeling. He's back. I'm, I'm just listening to this guy. I'm just taking it all in. And I said, dude, brother, you know a lot of scripture. And he said, Whitey, don't you know Jesus was a brother? I'm not lying, am I? I've never been called whitey my entire life. <laughs> like parts of me are like more white than others. I, I like, I like, I'm like a vanilla cappuccino. That's what I think. <laughs> like some of my dearest friends, African-American ministry partners in my life, I've never, ever been called whitey before. I'm like, this is awesome. He called me whitey. <laughs> Whitey, don't you know that Jesus was a brother? Well, I don't want to miss a teaching moment. <laughs> so I said, I think he was Middle Eastern. We're more black than you. <laughs> to which I wanted to say, and more white than you. But I didn't. <laughs> But I didn't. <laughs> that would have been self-serving love. And I would have, but I didn't. I was just. <laughs> I said, and I said, you're absolutely right. He's much more black than me. Much more black. And I, I said, brother, thank you so much. Uh, may God bless you. And I gave him a little fist bump. I said, I got to get to a meeting. I'm going back to Tim Hortons this week. I'm going to see if I can find him. I just, want, I just want to sit with this guy. I just want to be in his presence. I just want to be around him. I just want to hang out. Sure, are some of the things that he could have said, might they have offended me years before? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I think I'd always laugh. Someone called me Whitey. He called me Whitey. I don't Pastor Whitey. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> His shirt that he had on might have offended me at another point. I don't know. It's, he's a part of God's creation. God's, God's loving him. And maybe if I can sit down and spend some more time with him, maybe, you know, God's devotion can flow through me to him. And who knows what might happen and maybe God's devotion to me will flow through him to me. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's what I want to be committed to. That's what I want to see happen. And maybe together we could up the flow. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.